0: Hello, and welcome to Seroptimus International Voices, where we give a global voice to women and girls. SI Voices is a space where women's stories and issues are heard as we celebrate 100 years of our remarkable organization. We will reveal and rediscover the history of our global movement while educating and informing on many of the key challenges affecting women and girls today. Hi, I'm Dawn Marie Lemons, a proud member of Soroptimist International for 38 years, and I'll be your host today. Joining me are Sharon Fisher, who's the Soroptimist International president, and Lisa Manjafico, who's been the Soroptimist International of the Americas archivist since 1993. My first question is for President Sharon. Please tell our audience who Soroptimus International is
1: and what are our major issues. Well, in over 120 countries, you can find the faces of Soroptimist members. We volunteer in local communities to improve the lives of women and girls through project work. By increasing access to education, by overcoming human rights violations, and by empowering those who are often not heard, we truly do make a difference in the lives of women and girls. And also as an NGO with general consultative status at the United Nations, Seroptimist International is actively engaged working to influence global policy. Half of our world is made up of women and girls, and yet in many countries, they are unable to go to school. Violence against women and girls is at a pandemic level Conflict and environmental challenges are increasing the vulnerability of women and girls, and all of these issues require a global solution. Optimist International thinks globally and acts locally, and we believe in a world where women and girls can reach their full potential and achieve gender equality. Wow. It looks like we have our
0: work cut out for us, President Sharon. So, Lisa, you're our historian So, tell us why and how Soroptimist was
2: started. Our Soroptimist origin story actually has an interesting beginning because it includes a gentleman, Stuart Morrow, who had in the past organized Rotary Clubs. He walked into the Parker Goddard Secretarial School in Oakland, California in search of potential members for the club he was organizing, presuming the school was owned by men. Instead, he found Adelaide Goddard and Mabel Parker were the co- owners He explained his mistake, but the owners remarked they would be interested in joining a club for women if he ever considered forming one. And that set the idea in motion. Over the summer of 1921, Morrow and a small group of interested women eventually grew to 80 women chartering what they decided to call a Seroptimist club. One of the 80 was Violet Richardson, a then-unmarried physical education teacher in Berkeley. She would only join the club if she had Morrow's promise there would be international clubs. This first club, the Alameda County Soroptimist Club, was chartered on October 3, 1921, and that date is the first of many 100th anniversaries Soroptimist will celebrate in the coming decade. Between 2021 and 2028, we will recognize the 100th anniversaries of the first 25 Soroptimist clubs. In 2027, we will recognize the 100th anniversary of Soroptimist members buying out Stuart Morrow's interest in the organization and turning control over to the then 20 independent clubs. And in 2028, We will celebrate the 100th anniversary of two federations, Soroptimist International of the Americas and Soroptimist International of Europe, and the formation of what we now know as Soroptimist International. We have a lot of celebrating ahead of us.
0: And we know Soroptimists like to celebrate, don't we? You know, I just think it's so interesting that we are formed by a man, kind of. But we didn't allow that to happen for very long. Just a few years later, we took control back of our organization. And that's, that's our story. So, you know, clubs started forming, as you told us, around North America pretty quickly. And um, I've heard some great stories about people traveling in wagons and with buggies up hills through rain to go to to form new clubs, but I'm sure you have some better stories than that. So tell us about some of the stories
2: of chartering. Because Soroptimists were primarily business and professional women, early on they were very active in supporting the businesses of their members, and that was their primary focus. When Stuart Morrow went to Europe to begin chartering the clubs there in London and Paris, he left the chartering of new clubs in North America to the presidents of the Alameda County, San Francisco, and Los Angeles clubs and hired Helena Gamble from the Alameda County Club to do the actual extension work. He later hired some other women to help charter clubs in areas he did not know well. Early clubs were very committed to spreading the organization. Time and time again in our archival records, we see references to members traveling to help set up these new clubs and to attend the chartering ceremonies of these new clubs. This tradition took root when Violet Richardson, the first president of the Alameda County Club, went to the chartering ceremony of the San Francisco Club in 1922, accompanied by other Alameda Club members. Sometimes members traveled hundreds or thousands of miles to attend a charter ceremony. There are references to members from California traveling to the chartering of early East Coast clubs, and there are even references to North American Soroptimists attending early club charterings in Europe.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I think any of us that have ever gone to a chartering remembers that experience. And my most recent one was in Budapest and man, was that an event. It's so fantastic to experience another culture, to experience another language and understand that we're all in the same organization. It was just thrilling. So, We've already heard that Soroptimus started growing internationally, and uh, the first club in Europe was in Paris. President Sharon, you're from Canada, and the first club in your country was in Vancouver in 1926, I believe. Um,
1: Tell us a little bit about that chartering. Our Vancouver club was chartered in April 1926, and the charter celebration was a grand event at the Hotel Vancouver in the rooftop ballroom. And it said, this grand affair had many visiting Seroptimists from other clubs traveling great distances to share in the excitement of welcoming a new club to the organization. I've seen pictures and news clippings from this event that show formal gowns, white gloves, and hundreds of people in attendance. Some of those charter members went on to take leadership roles in Seroptimist in those early days. The club hosted a 90th anniversary event in that very same ballroom a few years ago, and they're already preparing for their 100th anniversary in 2026. Oh, that will be an event to
0: attend, I'm quite sure. Well, service is the hallmark of our organization, and I, for one, can say that's absolutely why I joined. And yet it wasn't the first reason we started as an organization, but it did start pretty soon, right after we started chartering. Lisa, what were some of the first projects that Sir Optimus worked on?
2: Absolutely. In several clubs, it took a year or two for the service model to take root. And when it did, the clubs worked on advocacy, environmental work, alleviation of hunger and poverty in their local communities. There are also numerous references to Red Cross donations and even international disaster relief in the aftermath of the horrific 1923 Great Japan earthquake and firestorm in the Tokyo Bay area. But in these early clubs, we continuously see references to service related to women and girls, scholarship for girls in high school to attend college, funding for mature women to be able to afford education or training in a profession while paying for living expenses. Vocational guidance was provided by numerous clubs, which is not surprising given that members were in business and professions and wanted to assist the next generation of business and professional women plan for their careers. Early clubs established girls' summer camps and sanitariums for young women and girls suffering from tuberculosis. Another club bought five homes that they in turn sold to widowed and singled mothers who would not have qualified for a mortgage on their own. The work of these early clubs was very progressive and amazingly focused on women and girls. So,
0: World War II was a pivotal time in the world and also, of course, for Seroptimus. By that time, Seroptimus had become Seroptimus International, and there was a wish of Seroptimus in North America to help their European sisters. Lisa, could you tell us about one of the projects that came out of that time period,
2: the Founders' Pennies? This is actually one of my favorite Seroptimus stories. During World War II, Soroptimist clubs in Europe had to completely shut down because of the political and military conditions on the continent. In 1943, seroptimists in the North American Federation determined the best way they could help seroptimists in Europe was to prepare for the time when the war ended. And so every year, they collected from each Federation member one penny for each year of Soroptimist's existence, so starting at $0.22 in 1943. They placed this money into the Madame Noël Fund, named for the French Soroptimist, Suzanne Noël, who was so instrumental in extending the Soroptimist organization throughout Europe. After the war, this fund was turned over to the European Federation and primarily expended and provided the funding to re-establish the clubs and national unions for expenses like dues, so that in turn, their members could begin providing the desperately necessary service in post-war Europe. Approximately $27,000 in funding was made available through the fund, which in today's dollars would be around $350,000. The tradition of collecting what became known as Founders Pennies continued in the American Federation after the Noel Fund was closed and initially funded the American Federation's international fellowships to women studying medicine, the sciences, and especially in post-war world, international relations. Founders' pennies are still collected today and now help fund Sir Optimist International of the America's Dream Programs. Well,
0: every time I hear that story, it just kind of thrills me because so little can do so much. And that collective power of of us around the world, working for our international project that President Sharon has um, created called Road to Equality, um, dealing with human rights and other projects that ask every member to support them, make a difference when we come together together. And you know what, I when I was talking to some international friends, a lot of them had never even heard of Founders' Pennies. So it's so fun that we can say it out loud right now. So during the world wars, Soroptimus International stepped into a new international involvement, first with the League of Nations and then the United Nations. President Sharon, could you tell us about how Soroptimus International pe- became positioned on the world stage with these two organizations.
1: The League of Nations was formed after World War I with the goal of maintaining world peace by resolving disputes between countries before they ever erupted into warfare. And in 1945, the United Nations was formed after World War II to succeed the League of Nations. And they would strive to maintain peace but also develop friendly relations among countries promote social progress and human rights. Sir Optimist International was granted status as an NGO from the beginning and later achieved general consultative status and is one of the 130 plus organizations with that status, the highest level an NGO can be granted. And this is in recognition of our international membership and the multiple issues that we work on. We have over 20 UN volunteer representatives at seven centers, and our members join them throughout the year for meetings and events, all to influence global policy. You know, I just, I've just i been
0: studying recently just about the UN and general consultative status, and it just kind of flabbergasted me because there's really over a million NGOs in the world. And just over 5,000 have consultative status, but as you said, 130 plus, only that many have general consultative status. So that's a high honor that we have to work through programs and reports and stuff to, to achieve. So that, that makes me very pleased that we have continued that important relationship. Well... I can't believe it, but we've now almost reached the end of our interview. Over the next 15 months, you will hear examples of how seroptimists have impacted women and girls in over 3,000 communities throughout the world in 120 countries over the past 100 years, and you will also learn what we believe are the major issues for women today. So as a final question, I would like each of our panelists to reveal their call to action for Soroptimus and for the world. Lisa, would you go first?
2: Our founding members were real visionaries in starting a new organization and bringing women together from varied professions and often great distances. And they were visionaries and beginning the work to focus on women and girls. And I would like Soroptimists of today to think of themselves as the visionaries for our next 100 years. In Soroptimist International of the Americas in 2022, we will celebrate the 50th anniversary of our Live Your Dream Awards. And we are committed to a goal of economically empowering 500,000 women and girls through access to education in the next decade. I hope, as we move into our brilliant future, that every Suroptimist member can see in themselves the same kind of visionary spirit that inspired our early founding members.
0: Well, thanks, Lisa. I I love that first challenge, so I can't wait for President Sharon.
1: Well, my call to action is to find your voices, learn about the issues that impact our planet and become an advocate in your local community and in our global community. We can all work for the betterment of humankind and help make the world safer and sustainable for the generations that will follow. And it's not only the right thing to do, but it's our moral responsibility. Sir Optimist have been doing just this for almost 100 years and we still have work to do.
0: Well, in these troubled days of the pandemic and so much unrest around the world, it is so important that we're part of an organization that wants to be part of the solution. And being a visionary and having a voice and advocating and doing real direct service, that's our mandate. So thank you both. I know there's a million other stories you could have told, but we wanted to kind of tease people today about this podcast series and what they can learn as they're on the move um, because we know that seroptimists don't sit tight very often. So thank you so much for joining me, President Sharon and Lisa. You have just brought wonderful information and you, our listeners, have heard about our Bright Past and, and certainly some challenges for a brilliant future. We learned a little bit about our history today and what we want to work for. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And guess what? We're coming back in two weeks. Join us for our next podcast in two weeks. Tough women, tough topics. Thank you so much. You've been listening to SI Voices, a podcast hosted by Soroptimist International. Follow us on social media for our latest news and updates at Soroptimist Global on Facebook and Instagram and at Suropta Tweet on Twitter. You can also check out our website, soroptimistinternational.org. Please join us next time on SI Voices.